Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the third part. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's that a, time again, Nick. And, is and this you, our first trilogy? You, it is, this is. And oh. you're returning. No, we did road trips. Okay. We did three road trips, but you're returning to this. It's our second part of our third trilogy. It's, it's yeah, Wait, it's our it's second, the, it's our the final second, part no, of no, our no, second Third part of our second trilogy, trilogy. yes. Um, yeah. You just... You love America books. I just love America three books. And this week I'm looking for the best book about America. And to help me, of course, are two American high school English teachers, the most sought after <laughs> position in the land, <laughs> Ian and Joe. <laughs> Hi, Nick. My name's Joe Holshu. I am a very sick American wow. high school oh, sick, English dude. teacher. Very sick. Um, and if you are looking for the best book about America, I feel like we need to give it more constraints because you haven't really hinted at like the actual theme that we brought. America. Okay. Well, we bro- we Ian and I both both brought books uh, written by Native Americans, and I brought a book by Sherman Alexi called "The Lone Ranger and Tonto Fist Fight in Heaven." And Nick. It's pretty good. As far as titles that make you want to read it, that is that's a that's a really it's good one. I mean, really evocative. Alexi Alexi does know how to just you read that and you're like, I can't not read it now. Um, I don't know. Joe sounds kind of sick. I don't know if I want to read anything that he has. You know oh, what I mean? Like he touched it. If he could send a digital copy, right? Yeah, I'm actually giving it. Nick a copy of this one. I'm yeah, <laughs> Germ oh, no. Leiden. Hello, Joe. Hello, Nick. My name Hello. is Doctor Ian Young. I'm an American high school. English teacher. I know that's confusing, but we'll move past a lot it. of modifiers today. If you're mm-hmm. looking for a book in honor of America's birthday, I recommend Louise Erdrich's the painted drum. This is a lit head suggestion. Uh, thanks Natalie for this from car crashes to magic music. This book has it all. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely (laughs) enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. Um... I think in, in honor of, of America 3, we should. I want to hear from you guys what your favorite oh. fact about America is. My favorite fact your, about America. Yep, so dig deep, Nick. Your favorite fact about America. Probably the freedom. That's a fact. <laughs> That's a fact. Oh, for sure. Ain't no debating that. Joe, what's your favorite fact? I like how big Alaska is. Like when you see uh, mm. Alaska transposed over the top of the rest of America, it's like, dang. Okay. Alaska's, Alaska's like a third of the size of the rest of this country. So I started watching, um, we got the PBS app. Folks, if you don't know about it, you can download a PBS app to your smart whatever, and they have everything, like everything PBS has ever done. And so Amazing. we started watching the National Parks um, documentary by... Uh, Kenneth Ken Burns. Burns. By, Ken by Burns. Kenneth, Kenneth Burns, Sir Kenneth mm-hmm. Burns. Uncle, uh, uncle. That Sir shit's Kenneth amazing. Uh, how long is it? Is it? Is that the one that's like 862 hours? Or is it one of his shorter ones at like 300 hours? Uh, there's only one season on PBS. App, okay. So maybe mm-hmm. it's not that good of an app. But yeah, but it's like a PBS season. So it's like 28 years long. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's enough. It's enough. Uh, did you know this old house is still on its first season? Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Sesame Street's on season two. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Kenny. Do you think people's names, nominative determinism, do you think people's names or like the shorten, shortenings of them affect their their jobs? Because as you said, Kenny, I thought of myself of uh, um, another Kenneth, mm-hmm. Kenneth Chesney. Mm-hmm. Kenny Chesney, that Kenny is a... Is a uh, country music man name yeah but ken yeah. ken is a, d- a documentary filmmaker name can you imagine yeah. what kenny burns if he had gone with kenny right or ken kenham's <laughs> would he still have ended up being a documentary filmmaker should yeah. i go as nicholas should i switch mid-30s I nick should i right. is it too late to switch to nicholas saint nicholas <laughs> That's, is that a possibility? That flows better. It that does. Sounds, it's it's just you know, it has it's a household. Nicholas of Argyris. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> no, so um, all kidding aside, I saw a study on this once where you are you are statistically more likely to become a thing that your name is associated with. So for example, in the study, famously, they look at people named Dennis and Denise. Mm. And if you are named Dennis, you are more likely than a person of the average population to become a dentist. Um, same if you are Denise. Get out. That's and I bonkers. think of that, like I have a teacher that works with me. She's an English teacher. Her last name is Reader. Coincidence? Here we are. I Here think we are. not. Not statistically, apparently. No, not, uh, no, it is not a coincidence. She was. She was. Uh, have I told you guys that I'm sick? <laughs> My middle name is Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite fact about America is that if you distributed one tenth of the of our oh Ian, our, what's your favorite thing? Yeah, if you mm. distributed, if you just took the defense budget, the budget we've allocated oh, to <laughs> to our armed yeah. forces, and we yes. distributed just one tenth of that mm-hmm. across um, to every uh, every school teacher in America, they would each get twenty five hundred dollars. That's pretty good. Is that enough for? School supplies. And <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Well, welcome, Lit Heads, to You Don't Know Lit uh, Weekly, or as we call it, Strongly Podcast, where every week we pick a theme, and Joe and Ian Bick bring two book recommendations, and just to piss one of them off, we pick a winner. And, of course, we do have some show rules to keep us on track and select that winner. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen, okay? Rule number two, omit needless words. Um, uh, and rule Joe. number three, only winning matters. Vince, Vince Lombardi. Lombardis. Yes. That's correct. Um, and, of course, we have our, our shadow rules, which are <laughs> simple this week. Don't put the drum on the ground. And remember to feed the drum a gift of tobacco. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Ian. Mm-hmm. For those i'll be watching you guys we have our videos on lit heads so i'm i'm paying attention to their backgrounds and i'm 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 watching to make sure joseph you have 30 seconds to tell me what your book is about or this puppy dies <laughs> oh god <laughs> nick this is a book of 22 short stories they're interconnected they share many of the same characters and take place entirely on the spokane indian reservation in eastern washington they're tied together by character and theme and even though they are labeled as fiction alexi calls them reservation realism they're about poverty alcoholism and loneliness and together they paint a picture of what it's like to grow up on the res oh i died i messed up the last word yeah the res what it's like to grow up on the les yeah not 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 the same wait did you bring lone ranger the lone ranger and tonto fist fight in heaven that's a tv show right joe you're supposed to bring a book well wait wait a second lone ranger is not a wait wait the Lone Ranger is a TV show. <laughs> the Lone Ranger has a buddy named Tonto. This yep. book buddy. is about them fighting in heaven, but it's not really about them fighting in heaven. It's mostly about what it's like to grow up poor in Eastern Washington. Uh, we will unpack that soon. But, well, yeah, we'll get to that. I'm, I'm really interested as to whether they actually, they do throw, they do throw up their dukes, but. Sounds like Joe brought a fiction, possibly nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian. Ian. Yeah. This puppy's going to get it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Joe's just, Nick's just looking for an excuse to off this dog. <laughs> My author, Louise Erdrich, Erdrich, can write anything. Poetry, nonfiction, kids' books, novels, short stories. In The Painted Drum, she writes, it's a novel, she writes about myth and family, about theft upon theft upon theft, betrayal and nature and beauty and death, a mad dog and a ravine full of snow, a drum that speaks salvation and danger and, and is perhaps the universe in case you can't tell this is a really hard book to describe maybe instead of a bell we should just have a shotgun and a dog whimpering that's no? some i don't this know why you're doing this okay that's too much too much not a good not a great joke for the fourth of july but we found lit the heads, line um lit heads we're live go ahead and call in and tell us how you're spending your fourth and your favorite america fact would be great <laughs> Yeah, Alaska being big is taken. (laughs) (laughs) But really big, like bigger than you think. Yeah, freedom is also taken. Um, And uh, Ian's was something about... Ian's is something that Nick and Joe definitely (laughs) listened to. Joe, I'm I'm sorry to call back to that that thing about names a second ago, but do you think that because of your name, you are more likely to be a, a man who paddles on the sea? Because like your full name is Joe Boat, right? 
Joe um, Boathole Shoe. My yeah, Joe. full name is Joe, Joe Boathole Joe. Big Feet Shoe. Um, the other day through the locks, a man What's came through in a, in a homemade tugboat. Uh, it was called a micro tug. It was very little. It fit <laughs> him and his dog. It was made entirely of plywood, and it was my favorite boat I've seen all year. Oh, it, was it was amazing. You know, when Micro we get tub. big and famous and, and our our uh, lit heads are sending us just inappropriate gifts, I really hope right. somebody sends oh. you a full-size pilfered tugboat that the we FBI know. are actively looking for. Don't need to wait until we're famous to get inappropriate <laughs> gifts. Those can come immediately. <laughs> or appropriate gifts. Um, speaking of, do we still have stickers? Oh my gosh, we do still have stickers. And lit heads, if you look this week on our social media You'll see some uh, photographs and videos of stickers in various places um, around the the U.S. So keep your eyes open. I love for that. that. That's going to happen. Do you like that? Do you like that early bumpy? Yun? I think I'm going to start mixing it up. I do. I, like I also have been listening to a lot of Hidden Brain, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to steal a move from yeah, them. Do it, uh, Litheads. Submit a book. Submit a theme. You can go to our website. You don't know litpodcast.com and do that, or just tell a friend. Tell a friend about a bookish friend tell about bookish this friend. Uh, show. That's it. Just tell one person. Uh, this this week is uh, a, a lit head recommendation. Um, Natalie asked us to talk about the painted drum and suggested, why don't you do an indigenous lit theme? And we said, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's a better idea than we can come up with. <laughs> Way better. <laughs> I would like to point out that America 2 was Canada. <laughs> like our second America episode was about Canada. Uh, Joseph, um, you're so sick and weak. Uh, I doubt you'll make it. Uh, uh, yeah, you might not even make it till the end of this episode. Do you want to go first and, um, and give us, uh, give us a little bit about the Lone Ranger and that TV show you watched? In the late 80s, um, Sherman Alexi was a kid in college, one of the first in his family to go to college. Um, He had grown up on the Spokane Indian Reservation. He had kind of seen what the reservation life looked like for people that stayed on the res, and he thought, boy, I don't think that's for me. He went to college, studied a few different things, ended up writing a bunch of poetry as like a, a literature major, and was very fortunate to be able to publish that poetry in the form of a, a collection um, upon graduation. So when Sherman Alexie graduated college, he published a book of poetry called The Business of Fancy Dancing. Okay, let's pause to just appreciate that for a little bit. Really good name, right? The Business of Fancy yeah. Dancing? That's really good. Yeah, this guy can name stuff. This guy stuff. can name stuff good, goodly. This guy can name stuff. He, he expected it to sell like 25 copies, right? 22 of them to his mother. His mm. publisher sent off a review copy to the New York Times, an unsolicited review copy to the New York Times. Which I imagine doesn't usually end well. He sent out a, an unsolicited review copy to the New York Times. It ended up on the top of a slush pile and some editor grabbed it out of interest, read it over a weekend, and Sherman Alexie was on the cover of the next week's book review, and they called him, quote, the most important lyric voice of his generation. Hmm. And this is his first book. This is his first book. He was like 21 years old, sleeping on a surplus army cot in his parents' basement on the reservation. I'm sorry. So what have you guys done recently? Quiet, you. (laughs) I'm sorry, this this first book, this is not the book that you brought with us, for us today. No, this is not the book okay. that I brought. This is just a collection of poetry that he wrote while in Beautiful. college that they collected, bound together, sent off to the New York Times, and it got picked up the, off the top of a slush pile. So here's Sherman Alexia sleeping on a surplus cot in his, in his parents' basement thinking, oh man, how do I follow this up? Yeah, sophomore slump. Sophomore, sophomore slump. slump. He had all these short stories that he had also written in college, and he started shopping them around to different editors at that point, right? And a lot of editors were like kind of interested. A lot of agents, editors, I guess agents, started shopping them around to different agents. And a lot of agents would read them and they'd be like, uh, I think they're a little bit rough or I don't think people are ready for this. And like, ultimately, this is the work that he had done in college. So that's maybe yeah. not that surprising. Did he send a copy with the New York Times article in it? Like just slipped just in sent- the cover? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's kind of what he talks about. He's like, here I was approaching all of these all of these like publishing people and they're like, ah, you're not ready. And he's like, um, excuse me. Look at right here. It says I'm one of the major lyric voices of my generation. I mean, maybe he should sign his letters that way because that's going to oh. that's going to. That's how that's my email signature, voice of a generation. Sure, like some people say sincerely, some people say best. Yep. He says, 
one of the major lyric voices of my generation, <laughs> comma, Sherman Alexi. <laughs> anyway, long story short, he assembles the, these short stories. He finds somebody that's willing to publish them. He assembles them. He publishes them more or less as is. And he totally avoids a sophomore slump and publishes to what... to. Till today, a lot of people call the best thing that he's written, wow. like his hmm. his best. So work. his sophomore um, book was like a, a book of short stories. So that's the book that I read this week. I read mm, those twenty two hey, short stories. Joe, yes. Nice work there. Yeah, thank you. You, you led us. Please. You kind of led us on a primrose path. We were like, oh, he's going to do sophomore slump, but then you're like, no, is the best work he's ever done. Oh, and by the way, that's the book I brought. I I hate that you did that because it's a good move, but I respect the game. Yeah, he's um. It, it was kind of funny in the. It, in the intro, I read the 10th anniversary edition of this, and he talks a lot about like this time in his life. Like he talks about like the uncertainty in that. And there's two introductions to it, or I guess there's a foreword and then an introduction. And the foreword, he doesn't know how to write it. So he's just emailing back and forth with like an assistant that he has. And they're just like, they're just like kind of talking through how to write this introduction. And he just publishes that email exchange as the intro. <laughs> and, and his assistant at one point writes, to follow those reviews with a book like Roan Ranger is frankly kind of fucking remarkable. The book won the Penn Hemingway Award for the best first fiction and garnered even more praise, but it must have felt like even more of a weight. Every writer dreams of stunning and dazzling, but the Chicago Tribune uh, excuse me, but the Chicago Tribune writing the Lone Ranger and Tonto Fistfight in Heaven is the American Indian, is to the American Indian what Richard Wright's native son was for the black American in 1940 is wild. Like, that's crazy praise. Yeah. That's not just like, that's not just like, hey, I published a book. It was pretty well yeah. received. That's, right. oh, I published a book and people are comparing it to some of the most important novels published in the last right. hundred years. So this guy kicked right. the fucking door down. Um, <laughs> Sherman fucking Lexi, <laughs> pleased to meet you. <laughs> what's can I can I ask can I ask I mean what's so good about it, Joe? Like yeah, yeah tell he, us about it. He he comes in obviously one of the most important lyric voices. Is it is it the stuff he's saying? Is it the way he's saying it? Is he just so darn good with his rhymes? Because poetry rhymes. Oh, good poetry. Is he does. so good with his rhyming? Mm-hmm. Um, is this? Um, can you sing? Is this? A, no, sorry, those are all good questions, Ian. Um, where, mm-hmm. uh, is this all? Uh, are, are these short stories at all cohesive? Do they tell a larger story? Or uh, t- also, uh, what, what was the year that this came out? When when did he kick down the door? Yeah, so so 1993 is when okay. he kicked down the door with it, with this. Um, are these stories cohesive? Yes, they ex- insofar as they exist in the same, same universe. universe. Yeah, they carry mm-hmm. over a lot of the same characters, right? Oh, okay. uh, and Nick, Nick, you're gonna love some of these character names. They've got like really good Native American names. Like one of the guys that shows up a lot is Thomas Builds a Fire. Well, and, okay. And I am the judge for all Native American names on the show, obviously. <laughs> right, <laughs> Nick. We know how you love yes. them. We know how you're you're always jonesing for those good Native American Ju- names, whatever that means. Julius Windmaker, Moses Morning Dove, David Walks Along. I actually really like David Walks Along because, like, it just sounds like he's just ambling. Sounds like he's just walking along. <laughs> So like these characters show up again and again. A lot of them are in the same like, I don't know, two or three square miles of each other. Um, actually, Sherman Alexi, he says, you know, when I when I published this book, people would a lot of times reviewers would talk about it being autobiographical. And I was a young man and I would get so mad at them for saying it was autobiographical. I would I would point to the cover and I would say, look right here. It says fiction. What don't you get about that? But then in the intro, he says, well, now 10 years have passed and I was being kind of an ass. He's like, this book is mm. totally autobiographical. And then he goes on to list all these examples. He's right. like, he's like that fist fight at that New Year's Eve party that I write about in that one story. I was the kid hiding under the bed, right? Sure. Like later on, like when this kid's sleeping between his two parents, like, and he could smell the alcohol seeping out of them, right? Like I was that kid sleeping between my parents. So it's totally autobiographical. Right. I mean, you're like 20 years old. Everything's autobiographical, right? Like, what are you pulling from, right? True. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Absolutely. Um, I wonder whether this is a question or a, a charge leveled at writers of color more frequently than at like your your 
normie, your normie kind of white writers. I know. So it's like, yeah, I I don't, I, when you're talking, when you, you, you see this, right. You see this in, in, in interviews, you see this in criticism when it's like somebody writing about life on the res or life as a uh, growing Mm -hmm. up as a young black man, or, um, what, what it's like to be Asian American and a lesbian or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I think these books oftentimes, get this like applied this tag of, Oh, is that, that must be autobiographical. And maybe the idea is, Oh, that makes it more legit what you're saying, or Mm -hmm. I can like trust the cultural anthropology more, but it's really interesting that people don't like say to JK Rowling, JK Mm. Rowling, autobiographical. Now is it, is it autobiographical that you had to live in a broom closet and your hair wouldn't stay (laughs) combed and cut short? Like what, where did that come from? How did you get to that? Like, it's just weird to me that, that, this is a thing which is sort of foisted upon maybe for some, some of these writers of color, it is true, but I don't know. It's right. just a, a weird kind of, maybe, maybe before we get into the judgments of that, cause Ian, there might be wizards in Joe's book. So Joseph, oh, what dang, is, right. what, what's it all about? How do you explain a series of short stories to us? Yep. That's super good <laughs> question. Um, the short story, a lot of things happens in these short stories, right? Like one of the most memorable ones is, is about like this New Year's Eve party in which he writes this story about um, like there's a party at his house from the narrator's point of view. Um, and it's just like this raucous, like, like people are like fighting and breaking through doors. Like there's, there's, um, there, there, there's like, like women are punching each other. Like at a certain point, the whole party spills out into the yard and two of his uncles are like, are like taking their shirts off and like fight each other until they are so out of breath. All they can do is like, um, like, like hugging each other's embrace. Like it's, it's a lot of stories like that. Okay. A lot. Is it slice of life? Here's a slice of life. Here's something that happened on the res. Right? And they're like, they're like thin slices. They're like, they're like Very grains, thin. right? They're not, yeah. they're not like, let me walk you through four years of my life. They're there. Here is a snapshot. Here is a, here's brief- a snapshot. Here's something that happened over two and a half hours when I was six years old. Right. Like, like that's kind of what it's like. It's like vine. <laughs> it's, like oh, it's like vine, vine for yes. books. Um, it's like vine for books. So the, the, the stories are extremely short couple pages the, the stories do tend to be very short yeah, okay. yeah like i mean the, a long story in this book is is 12 14 pages long so i guess tell us then about the universe a little bit more like so what are the things that make these stories similar or di- or different or whatever the thing that ties this together is really like the themes that keep arising over and over like you see people living in poverty you see people who are very lonely you see rampant alcoholism throughout this um you see a lot of people who like like the thing that you get over and over in this is what happens to people when they are like faced with despair or faced with hope over or faced with a lack of hope over and over and over again like they keep hitting their head against that wall like what does that do to a grown man what does that do to a family? What does that do to a little kid who all of his heroes, like like all of his heroes are white because like those are the people that come to the reservation and like help them, right? Like what, like what does that do to you? And the answer, like what it does to you is, well, it kind of messes you up. <laughs> it's, <laughs> the answer it's is not uh, great. predictable. Yeah, the answer is predictable. So like that's the thing that keeps coming up and up again. Um, when he talks about this being like reservation realism, right? Like that's that's kind of what he's saying where he's like, look, what sets these stories apart? I think for the first time, or at least for the first time that people noticed it was somebody from the reservation, from this situation, writing these stories where it was like, hey, let me tell you what this is really like. Like, let me give you like an image of what this, of what happens here. And is that, um, is the book written for, Mm. um, people who are like interested in, I guess that experience, I guess that's, I don't know, maybe that's a pretty obvious question. The book is for everyone wants to fucking read it, but, um, this is, this is a good question. Does it have like a, like a, or does maybe he comment on like what the, the purpose of the book? Is it kind of like a behind the scenes? Is there an overt message? Um, is it like an insight into a world that most people don't know about? I think it's that last one more than anything, mm. this insight into a world that most people don't mm-hmm. know about. Um, he gets criticized sometimes. Um, he kind of talks about recently. I, I, I watched an interview with him that took, give me their names. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I watched an interview with him, may, maybe shot within the last three or four years. It was a relatively recent interview. And in it, he says, 
I was giving this speech at Stanford and like this young student asked me, how do I feel when white people use my books as weapons against Indians? Right. He says, because in my books, a lot of Indians, like I don't portray them kindly. Like I kind of portray them realistically. Like I show it like how it was growing up. Yeah. People have been asking me some version of that question since 1987. He says like everybody in this book is drunk or in love with a drunk. Mm. And when I write about drunk Indians, I'm dealing with stereotypical material, Alexi Mm. says, but I can only respond with the truth. In my family, counting parents, siblings, and dozens of aunts, uncles, and cousins, there are less than a dozen who are currently sober and only a few who have never drunk. When I write about the destructive effects of alcohol on Indians, I'm not writing out of a literary stance. I'm not writing out of a colonized mind need to reinforce stereotype. I'm writing autobiography. Yeah. Uh, like, well, like this is obviously like a problem. It's, it's not a new problem. It's something that we've heard about our whole lives in various ways of like uh, on reservations. Like when you have these people that live in poverty, when you have these people who like live in a structure, a structure with no hope. One of the things that came up, I thought that was really interesting because when I was kind of doing research around this book, one of the things that came up was, um, the Smithsonian right now has a display, has a, a, an exhibit, I guess, about Native Americans in pop culture and mm, how pop okay. culture has like portrayed Native Americans. And it's kind of all the things that you think, right? Like you looking at you, Hollywood. Right. Well, but one of the things that they point out is how often like like we, I guess, like culture has looked to Native Americans to borrow like some prestige or some pride or some like primal ferocity. Yes. And I think a lot of times like as a culture, I think we look at it and be like, well, look, like when we portray Native Americans or when we name our football team, right, the Washington Redskins or whatever it is, right? Or when we name, here, here's better examples. When we name uh, uh, the newest best helicopter that we produce, the Apache helicopter or the Black Hawk helicopter, mm-hmm. that's us honoring you. Like, like that's us being like, you are so badass. We're going to name this awesome thing that we did. That's us thinking we're honoring. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, that's kind of (laughs) it. Like the exalt, the result is in a lot of ways, us thinking as a culture, like, oh yeah, Indian, like, like native Americans, they don't need our help. Right. Like they should be self-sufficient. Like they're like these totally badass people. Like we name helicopters after them. Like what could we do to help them? And they were saying like, well, anytime we do this, we're like one dimensionalizing them. Yeah. Well, that's the whole like Hollywood thing too. Like, yeah, that's what we do. Like every native American is on a horse. <laughs> like Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting though, because, um, Joe, so <sighs> Alexi writes this and, um, he's participating in a movement towards a more realistic representation of, of native Americans. But also, there's, I think he's sort of initializing a, a new, a new stereotype or a new kind of, a new kind of sim, simple image where like res, res lit is always kind of a downer. It's always like, yeah. man, this messed me up. Res lit is focused on, yeah, we're going to show you the, the dark truth and yeah. it's, and and I feel like the, this this sort of type of this sort of type of Native American literature had a heyday and maybe still does, where we've gone away from the very stereotypical you know ridiculous war bonnet and uh, mm-hmm. horseback yeah, and bow and arrow yeah. image, and we've moved more towards like the the grim and gritty kind of the the yeah. um, the the way the Dark Knight had an impact on superhero films mm-hmm. and visual media in general. I feel like Alexi and and others kind of now for for a while res lit was just just like man here's more crap Here, here's more of a downer for you right, right. But, well, so like I guess one thing I'm maybe not communicating here is like these these stories are often downers but they also are like really funny stories okay. like sometimes there's a dark humor there's a lot of love in these stories especially between like alexia and mom and stuff like that right so like i, I don't want to paint this as a total downer because this right. book it didn't feel like light-hearted to read mm-hmm. by any means but i didn't like dread picking it up and reading right. it again right like i didn't i didn't dread that right. um 
the other thing that you talk about is, you know, all of a sudden Alexi or like work like this becomes like this, this icon for a generation where it's like, oh, you want to talk Native American lit, lit, like here's this guy, his name's Sherman Alexi. He writes all this stuff, right? Um, Well, Alexi kind of jokes in interviews and he's like, he's like, look, when I wrote this book and kind of launched into like this, this this literary stardom, he says, I kind of felt like the Indian du jour, right? Like I felt like the Indian du jour. He says, the problem is, is that day has lasted for about 30 years now. Mm. And it's really time for somebody else to pick up the torch is what he says. It's got to be not me anymore. Is he still writing? So far I've sufficed. Yeah. He's still relatively um, active. Active. Yeah. I had read the only Alexia I had read before this were a couple of his essays that um, I've taught before. And then uh, his young adult novel called the secret diary of a part-time Indian. Ian, am I getting Mm -hmm. that right? It's something like that. The secret diary of a part-time Indian, which is kind of a a bit autobiographical in young adult form. Right. So I I super liked it. If you're looking for a place to start Alexi, I think this is a great spot to start. Now, Joseph, you are uh, the closest one on this show to. I like where this is going. Yep. To be a man of a man of the ocean, a man of the a man of the <laughs> a water, salty sea dog, a sea dog, right. a I'll sea dog. Me hearties. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I, th- I think everything you've said so far is exactly right. That's how yes. I would describe you. It's really teacher is secondary to your knowledge of the sea. Joe's big thing is boats. My big thing is being a supermodel, and Nick, yours is. Freedom. <laughs> so I'm thinking next week we do boats. To do boats? Do you guys want to bring boat books? Not really a question. We're bringing boats. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's a command. Yeah, Nick, I would love to bring a, bo- a book about boats. In fact, this last week I read a a bountiful book about boats called The Boys beautiful. in the Boat. Oh. Yeah, a beautiful book about Bang. boats called The Boys beautiful. in the Boat, written by Dr. Daniel James Brown. Um, Nick. Yeah, it's about the 1936 Olympic rowing team, um, and I think it's lovely. 1936 Olympics are um, interesting for a bunch of different reasons, so I I can't wait to to hear that. Uh, I'm going to bring In the Heart of the Sea, which was published uh, literally 22 years ago. Um, It was a National Book Award winner, and it was super famous, and I'm interested in... in reading that, it's supposed to be connected to Moby Dick somehow. So we'll see about that. Ian. Yeah. You have exactly an undisclosed period of 30 time seconds before you my puppy dies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I said I uh, when I wrote my 30 second plot, usually that comes to me pretty quickly. But I wrote and rewrote this a bunch of different times because my book is relatively short it is a slender 272 pages 274 pages well let me just it's it's put a mark in your column here it's good you (laughs) (laughs) one Uh, point it's a it's a it's not a long book but it when i say it reads like a long book that sounds like a bad thing like it reads like it takes a long (laughs) time but i mean more you finish it and you go back to like kind of recap the plot and you're like holy cow so much stuff so many like well-drawn characters so many climactic moments and and i'm frankly flummoxed as to how erdrich managed to to fit it all in without feeling rushed but it's short but it reads like a very thorough uh well-developed story um i loved this book this was a huge delight to read i read it outside which i think Oh, helped it's good mm. um, there's something about reading a Ooh, book yeah, outside you gotta pick like, the right location right yeah mm. you just kind of like you, you go out and it feels like you're being aggressively vacation you get into a big tree you get you get under a big tree I, underneath a big oh. under a big it's, tree it's yeah, as a yes yes you know what even a little bit of hammocking there was a little Whoa. bit of hammocking. you read a book in a hammock it was great. Wow. Really good. How do you not fall asleep? Oh, boy, um, you put me in a hammock with a book. It's snooze time. It's snoozing time. Well, that's the best part. This book, this book doesn't put you to sleep. This yeah. book is, um, it's, I would say it's like definitely a literature with a capital L, but it is also funny and dramatic. And oftentimes, as we've discussed plenty of times on this podcast, literature with a capital L also means boring and stupid and weird and, and stuff. Most, but most yeah. this time, is yeah. not weird. that. This is like, well, this is a fun book. I would I would recommend this to someone who wanted to think big, thinky thoughts, and also to a different someone who wanted to um, j- 
just read about a magical drum. Now, <laughs> Ian, you got Nick at magical drum. Yes. Um, so, Ian, what's it about? So this novel, uh, The Painted Drum, starts by introducing um, a kind of a cast of characters from New Hampshire. Um, the big one is the, the 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 prime, the main character, and the the point of view character is an estate appraiser whose name is Faye. Um, she is of Anishinaabe extraction. Um, Anishinaabe is a large group of Native American peoples uh, comprised of, uh, among others, uh, Ojibwe and Chippewa. So Faye is kind of of this native extraction, but she's not on the res and she's never lived on the res. She's kind of like lived her life out in, out in the, the world. Um, so she's, she's our main character. We've got her mom. Um, there's a sculpt sculptor who lives next door. Um, he has a daughter, the daughter has a boyfriend. So there's this whole little kind of like colorful cast of characters and there are some jokes and there's some little bits of drama. Where do they live? They live in New Hampshire. They live kind of in, yeah, it, it reads a little bit, actually a little bit Stephen Kingy because it's just so <laughs> very kind of small town, New Hampshire, small town, New England type thing. Um, it's not cliche or stereotypical. It's just like really like, oh yeah, very familiar. Like, here we are. Yeah. You got a, you got a funny road. It's called, um, called revival road. And, um, at the, uh, these people live along the road and, it's they're a little community and they're kind of weird and there's that strange guy who lives at the end of the road and stuff. Is there a haunted house on the road? Um, is there a murdering nope. alien clown on the road? No, no. See, then nope. we diverge from Stephen King there oh, a okay. bit. Um, okay. So she the, the story gets going when Faye appraises the estate. Yeah, it does. Of, <laughs> oh, I know, right? You're like you're like you. Okay, you you say uh, here we go, uh, Baba Booey. But honestly. <laughs> You guys, I, I like to go thrift shopping, and part mm-hmm. of the joy of thrift shopping is the thrill of the find. The th- yeah, and when the she hunt, she appraises these estates, she's like, usually there's nothing valuable, but sometimes there's like tens of thousand dollars worth of like artifacts and things. Mm-hmm. So this guy, she knows that this guy who died uh, was an agent on a reservation in Minnesota. Okay, an agent. How are you using that word? These are white people who are kind of like installed in the Indian reservations to kind of be bureaucrats and so forth. Sure. And often keep their eye on things. They ended up taking dramatic advantage of the people there. Sometimes they would like be the ones who ran stores and would sell alcohol. Um, so on and so forth. I've never heard of that. Yeah. The Indian agent is kind of like, it, it's kind of a, 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 is a it figure a government position. He was, they were. Yes. Oh, they're done away with as far as I know. Like now that's not like a thing now. Why? It doesn't sound problematic. <laughs> it reminds me of agents in the matrix. It's like, Hey, we're just here to keep you computer programs in line. In keep line. your eye on things. Well, and also all the agents were played by Hugo weaving. Um, right. Yeah. In on the, I, I am. When you say agent, I am actually just picturing yep. Hugo weaving his sunglasses here. <laughs> well, it, like, like, like that, like those agents in the matrix, um, they were, uh, not, they were not great. And this guy who, who, She's Faye is appraising his estate. He was an agent on a reservation. He has this reputation of um, kind of being very stingy. Uh, and he also like had a bunch of native stuff. So when she goes into his house, there's just tons and tons of stuff. Um, some of it's valuable. And while she's there, she sees a drum, a fancy, beautifully painted, big drum. And this is stuff that he kind of sort of maybe looted from the reservation or maybe he said hey you want alcohol which you are now an alcoholic alcoholic you have to pay me you don't have any money you can give me your stuff you can give me that cool drum you can pay me in drums famously yep. yeah classic uh liquid currency so she sees this drum and something happens when Faye sees this drum she's like drawn to it and she steals it okay she takes the drum Bold. and hides it in her car this drum is the drum of the title. So I would, I was guessing. unlike Joe's book, which never gives us really a, a that, that right. classic showdown moment. My book. Oh, uh, you didn't. Yeah. We didn't ask you about the title, Joe. Yeah. So, Do you have a quick oh, answer? Do you have a quick? No, too late. That's my quick answer. Read the book. Suckers. <laughs> So she's, you got to remember, she is, she is not a reservation Indian. She wasn't born raised there, but she has links to these reservations and specifically to the one that the drum came from. She, and I remember I'm doing broad strokes. There's a ton of stuff that I'm just 
skating over. Um, after she takes the drum and she's like, I'm going to return it to the reservation where I have um, kind of roots at that reservation. And then the, the point of view shifts and we are on that reservation and we get a whole bunch of information like backstory from a guy who is a reservation Indian on things like how the drum was made, uh, the family tragedy that kind of surrounded its making, um, how the drum killed somebody one time, um, how it's magic, how it can maybe heal a little boy who's super sick. Um, the drum is returned to its um, its Anishinaabe owners, and that's kind of where I'll leave it because I don't want to spoil things. Well, the drum really feel, is feeling like a metaphor here, Ian. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> the drum is super important. It's a symbol, but it's also a powerful symbol. Like it, it, it acts in the narrative. It's not just like the drum stands in for all of the things that need to be returned yeah. to their mm-hmm. rightful owners. It's also... Ah, mad magic. Mad it's mad. also magic. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to ask. Like when you say it's magic, what, what kind of book are we talking Harry about? Harry Potter. Here? Like is the drum magic? The drum is OK. I will say the drum is mystical. There, there are different there are different views on the drum. I'm going to read you a, a brief quote um, where the drum is described because I was going to as I was reading this, I was like, OK, I got to I got to describe this drum, but I can't as well as as um, Erdrich does. So she says. Uh, this is this is after Faye has stolen the drum and she goes back to her mom, who is also a real estate appraiser. And she's like, hey, mom, uh, I stole this drum. And the mom's like, what? No, you don't steal from the people. Stop <laughs> That's it. Like the first rule. Um, but then she she realizes like, OK, this is actually a big deal because drums are special. Drums are not just like another another like, oh, it's mm-hmm. a, a, a moccasin or some beadwork. No, this is this is a, a special, magical, mystical thing. She says. The drum is the universe. The people who take their place at each side represent the spirits who sit at the four directions. A painted drum, especially, is considered a living thing and must be fed as the spirits are fed, with tobacco and a glass of water set nearby, sometimes a plate of food. A drum is never to be placed on the ground or left alone, and it is always to be covered with a blanket or quilt. Drums are known to cure and to kill. They become one with their keeper. They are made for serious reasons by people who dream the details of their construction. No two are alike, but every drum is related to every other drum. They speak to one another and they give their songs to humans. I should be careful around the drum. She is bothered by its presence in the collection. It's more alive than a set of human bones, she finishes, then hesitates. Of course, that is a traditional belief, not mine. I nod with some relief, for although I am surprised by my actions this afternoon of stealing the drum, I do not believe, of course, that the drum itself possesses a power beyond its symbolism and antiquity. So I think one of the questions of this book is, does does the drum possess a power beyond its symbolism and antiquity? Like, is there something that the drum is or does and we, when we go to the reservation and we hear the story of how it was made, you're more like, May, maybe, like maybe there is a, a bit of magical realism here. Ian. Um, yes. What, what else is, so, okay, she steals the drum. We kind of get the perspective of the, the drum is not just an object, right? Um, I think that's really cool. Um, we understand, I would assume it's, meaning right to somebody else who's not or somebody who is more familiar with it right and we we also witness it we also witness the drum saving somebody's life yeah a little boy's in life magical, right in a magical sense include that it's pretty too. good this this hey this sounds like one hell of a drum can i just <laughs> say that this drum sounds amazing well, that was the original name one hell of a drum <laughs> you gotta see this drum bang, and bang, actually bang. erdrich had this passage where the the appraiser Faye opens a box and says boy howdy boy howdy <laughs> that's, that's one, one hell of a drum Right. Very good stuff, gentlemen. So, okay, what else, Ian? What? Uh, why do you care? I guess you know, like, the, why does a yeah. reader care about any of this? Yeah. Is it? Um, yeah. Do you get to learn a little bit more about, um, you know, the, the indigenous culture? Is it more yeah. of uh, a character book? What is the book about? What's What's it doing? Well, so, so I think the answer to, the answer to that question, you gave me a couple options, and the answer is yes to both of those. Oh, great! Like, <laughs> good thing I didn't let the third option. <laughs> this is this is this is good like it does have some really wonderful sort of cultural anthropology there there is poetry she she started off as a poet um much like Sherman Alexie and then she's done everything like literally everything since 
Um, so there, it's a, it's a beautifully written book. Uh, I think that's part of it. Um, you do learn, like you learn stuff, but she, she has this really interesting, and I wasn't sure how to put this to work this in, but here we go. She has this really interesting afterward where she says, I want to get the words right because this, this I never you seen. This gotta struck get me. the words right. Ian. As in all of my books, no sacred knowledge is revealed. I check carefully to make sure everything I use is written down already. So she is not saying, let me spill the tea on slang or youth, yeah, youth. insider, insider, insider traditional stuff. She says, you can get this elsewhere. So I think the, the, the real draw of this, yes, there's, there's cultural, um, um, narration, like here's the culture, but I think the real draw of this is family. So these characters, there, there are these multiple mother daughter relationships, which are super fascinating. Faye and her mother, um, the appraiser and her mother, she, she describes it. They're not like rivals. They don't dislike each other. They're just like really good friends with each other. And they each have sort of hidden guilt and they navigate that. So there's, there's a lot, a, a big way in which this is um, a, a story about relationships and about um, kind of the, 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 the sinews that tie us to other people, the people we're close to and the people we're maybe not expecting to be close to. It's a story written by a native author about native people and to some extent about native culture, but it's not just about that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's, I hope that's fine, but it kind of moves beyond the conventions of native American, native American lit, which are like, now we're going to talk about how drunk everyone is all the time. And what a sad and brutal thing that is. Are you trying to say that there's heart? (laughs) Yeah, there's heart and there's beauty and there's wisdom. I think, and it's it's not it's not one note. It's not one dimensional, and it's just it's it's lovely. It's just it's pleasant, and it's it's not denying that there's alcoholism and abuse on the res. There's poverty, um, but it's also saying the beauty, the love that these people show each other counteracts some of that. It's clear out about negatives, but it's 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 beautiful in its honesty about positives. Uh, thanks Natalie for the recommendation. This is a, a lovely book and I, I, um, I am delighted. It is a part of my part of my tapestry now. I have to pick a loser and I just want to be clear. It's oh, you're not, you're not neither book. No, no, you're not losing. saying it's like one of you. This book yeah. is a loser. Specifically, totally Ian understand. or Joe is yes. going to be the loser. Okay, so just make sure totally we're clear because because you're not Put racist is what it is. Wow, that's what I wanted to just make sure it was crystal clear because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise the headlines, <laughs> Headline, you know, Variety.com, right. the New York local podcast host one. declares mm-hmm. this author a loser. Plus, right. my middle name is racist. <laughs> I thought your middle name was podcast. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so these both sound good. Uh, uh, Ian, you lose. Joseph, mm. I just, both of these books sounded great, but I thought your presentation today was just so good. Um, oh, and I just, I need to yeah. reward that. Uh, very good. Good storytelling. Plus, I'm sick. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't want to say it's exactly like Michael Jordan in Game 6, right. but. You're, yeah. you are our <laughs> underdog. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, uh, for, for that reward, I do have a small gift for you. I'm going to tell you why the book is called The Lone Ranger and Tonto Fistfight in Heaven. Um, it, yep, thank you. Um, I, to, to be honest with you, the reason I avoided this question earlier is because I had no idea why it was called that. So I, <laughs> I looked up the answer. There, so there is a short story in this collection called this, um, and it's just about this guy. Did you read this book, Joe? I did, okay. but it doesn't explicitly say, okay. and and, right. and also the Lone Ranger and Tonto are not referenced in this book outside of the title of this short story. Okay. So this guy moves away to Seattle to live with his white girlfriend. He goes to college. 
He moves back to the Indian reservation and he's torn between like living his life in a white way or living his life in a native way is what it is. And Sherman Alexie says um, that this title came to him in a dream to represent the white in the the white and the Native American identity, respectively, fighting over dominance in the modern native's head. So I'm very happy. Uh, Lidheads, do we have anything else to plug? I kind of did the early plug. Stickers. We did. Stickers. If you want free stickers, we still have some free stickers. Go to our website. There's a button that says get stickers and then fill out the thing to get stickers. Mm -hmm. If you want stickers, specifically, Mm -hmm. you don't know lit stickers, which is the name of this show. You don't know lit. Good stuff. Good good stuff, Nick. You're petering out. Joseph, take us away. So the name of this short story is called A Train is an Order of Occurrence Designed to Lead to Some Result. And in the short story, one of them is telling uh, like a, a embellished Native American origin story. Listen, Samuel said, Coyote, who's the creator of all of us, was sitting on his cloud the day after he created the Indians. Now he liked the Indians. He liked what they were doing. This is good, he kept saying to himself. But he was bored. He thought and he thought about what he should make next in the world, but he couldn't think of anything. So he decided to clip his toenails. He clipped his right toenails and he held the clippings in his right hand and then he clipped his left toenails and he added those clippings to the ones already in his right hand. He looked around and around for somewhere to throw away his clippings, but he couldn't find anywhere and he got mad. He started jumping up and down because he was so mad and then he accidentally dropped his toenail clippings over the side of the cloud and they fell to the earth. The clippings burrowed into the ground like seeds and grew up to be the white man. Coyote... He looked down at his newest creation and said, Oh, shit. 